You are about to listen to a podcast that is intended for, well, not mature audiences, but certainly adult audiences. So parents, please take a moment to shuffle your kids out of the room or stop listening to it in front of them. We'll give you a moment. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get started with the broadcast. Hello and welcome to Words Between Friends, a podcast dedicated to the English language and specifically the origin of curious expressions, all filtered through the complete lack of expertise of two old friends who share not only a love of language, but also a palpable animosity stemming from countless grievances long forgotten, but never forgiven. I am your host, Malcolm Fleshner, and joining me is my co-host and frequent antagonist, Kurt Wolfram, who never fails to have choice words for me. Kurt, you excited for today's podcast? No. <laughs> okay. Well, one, one choice word, anyway. Uh, there was no profanity. I should be happy for that. So if you're new, the way the show works is that both Kurt and I bring well-known English expressions to share, but without informing one another which phrases we plan to talk about. We then try to puzzle out the meaning and origin of the other's idiomatic expressions. Sounds fun, right? All right, so let's do it. And Mr. Wolfram, you get to go first this week because last time I went first and I know you're, uh, you're devoted to fairness. Fairness is the watchword with you. And so you get to be first. You have something for me that is going, you're going to pose to me and challenge me. Listen, man, I think the ABCs might challenge you in, in, uh, what is it? Cyrillic is Cyrillic a language. Cyrillic is an alphabet. That is, the Russian alphabet is the Cyrillic alphabet. Uh, you took Russian for a couple of years at the uh, at the school, didn't you? At the at the institute, yeah. I studied the language some enough to remember that the alphabet is called Cyrillic. Yes, and that the backwards R is not pronounced like R R our R, and the backwards N is not pronounced like our N. So you can't just substitute them out like that for a Russian speaker. That's going to be a clue that you don't know. And you took that because you wanted to be a sympathizer to our then enemies? You know, I, I assumed they were going to be taking over. This was, yeah, this was the, <laughs> the late 80s, this was the, or the mid 80s, mid to late 80s, before the, the Berlin Wall came down. And I saw where things were going. There was sure. Iran Contra. R yeah. Ronald Reagan seemed like he was doddering and didn't know what was, what was going on. The Challenger disaster had happened. And as soon as I saw Olga Corbett uh, perform and Nadia Comaneci, I mean, she was Romanian, but I thought I was like the Eastern Bloc. They've got it all over us. Our women's gymnastics were nothing. I mean, crap compared to theirs. And I thought that was a sign. And it wasn't until 1984 when Mary Lou Retton and the other gals uh, dominated that I thought maybe we had a chance. But remember, the Soviets and most of the Eastern Bloc nations boycotted those Olympics. So... Uh, it really wasn't a fair fight. That was a spectacle. Do you remember that? 1984, the Olympics, and there none of the Eastern Bloc countries were there. It was in Los Angeles. And we just racked up the gold medal. The medals count was just brutal. It, we just destroyed the rest of the world. And we were celebrating, USA, USA. It was morning in America and all that sort of crap. And there wasn't any acknowledgement like, yeah, we're cleaning up because we're like a, a professional baseball team playing against a bunch of high school teams and the other professional baseball teams didn't show up. We, we were perfectly happy to win these unfair fights and act as if it demonstrated our moral and otherwise superiority. And so that was that was great. But I wasn't sold. I wasn't convinced. I still thought, to get back to your question, that the Ruskies were going to take over. And I figured I better learn the language so I could be ready to welcome our new Russian or speaking overlords. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be ready to welcome them and say, I am one of you. And don't send me to work in the salt mines. 
Yeah. Now, I remember that because uh, we were contemporaries back then, and I always thought it curious that the only uh, phrases you learned were this way to the women, and I can tell you where the gold is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm happy to inform on your enemies. <laughs> 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 this, this way to the women, like I would have known. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, well, yeah, it was, it was more of a vague gesture you did. I think they're that way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's what I've heard. That was about as clued in as I was with regard to women in high school. <laughs> I think they're yeah. over there. That <laughs> <laughs> is the best you can do for us. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm happy yeah. to inform on anybody, but I was not uh, taking the, was the movie Red Dawn? Was that it? When uh, they, they. Oh uh, yeah. Patrick the, the... Swayze stopped dancing and started doing some, uh, you know. <laughs> sorry. Stop that dancing and start defending our country. Yeah. A bunch of uh, plucky teens were able to hold off the Ruskies. <laughs> uh, that was not my tack. <laughs> So they uh, remade a, a version of Red Dawn, which was one of my favorite. I love that movie. And uh, and this time they wanted it to be the Chinese. And uh, the Chinese weighed in and said, no, it can't be us because we want to show it here or whatever, you know, or whatever. Yeah. They weigh in. They're like, well, that's a little too sensitive. You know, we don't want to blatantly talk about that. So instead, we made it the North Koreans. Yeah. And the idea that the North Koreans, no matter how obsessed they are that the 25 million of them would run roughshod over the entire u.s was almost as believable as you speaking russian like okay. i mean you know 90 percent of the country doesn't have functional toilets but they're going to come over to the united states well i think and i don't mean to get too political here but the concept <laughs> of you know how much we spend on defense and it's really just laughable the idea that any other country in the world would be able to militarily take over the united states but that is in theory why we're like funding saudi arabia bombing yemen like because that, that's it's very important for us to spend our taxpayer dollars on you know, forcing the yemeni people into submission so it wasn't plausible in 1985 or whenever red dawn came out with soviets and it's certainly a lot less plausible with north koreans now but uh, but that's the, the great thing is like we want to make a movie about the chinese taking over the united states but we can't because we don't want to offend the Chinese because we need their yeah. money. <laughs> yeah, we don't want we don't have, have them, you know, taking over the United States with that, that idea we give them. Well, I would be interested because if you remember 1980, the Summer Olympics, we boycotted, Jimmy Carter boycotted the, the Moscow Olympics. And I would be interested to know if their coverage was similarly self-glorifying the way ours was. Uh, even if gr the footage was grainier because their television technology wasn't up to snuff. But I'm sure the Soviets just destroyed, or at least, you know, I mean, the, sometimes the East Germans and, you know, like I said, Nadia Komenich was uh, Romanian, but it's them, the Eastern Bloc countries, and then like the African countries and, you know, China, which was not a major player in the Olympics at that time. I mean, they must have just destroyed. But that was the era when the Olympics totally sold out. So it's like Snickers, the official snack bar of the 1984 Olympics, you know, everything had an official something or other. And I'm guessing they didn't have that in the Soviet Union. You know, the official borscht producer of the 1980 Summer Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, volleyball event is sponsored by Long Lines. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's sponsored by Red Backside Toilet Paper. You can't get any, but if you could, it would be your favorite brand. New store-bought vodka. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the kit to sell you how to means of home fermenting vodka from potatoes in your toilet. So yeah, but let's get on to the show because there's lots to get to. And this is just all filler. This is fluff. I'm going to have to edit all of this out. Let's get on to, to where we came here to talk about. All right, so uh, so here's your here's here's your first phrase of the day. 
uh, is kick the bucket. To kick the bucket. Now, for those who are new, I haven't heard this. I didn't know that Kurt was going to bring kick the bucket. I have to define what the expression means, and then I have to figure out why it means that, where this expression comes from. Kick the bucket, obviously, we all know, means to die. We have lots of expressions meaning to die. Kick the bucket, buy the farm, pushing up daisies, six feet under, going tits up. We can probably figure out why that is. Buy the farm, I don't know why that is, and kick the bucket. So, and you, there is an origin. Can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> You're treat it like it's a spelling bee. <laughs> you know? What's the what's the, the derivation? Are there any alternate spellings of kick the bucket? Uh, I saw this clip with the spelling bee, and they do that. Can you use it in a sentence? And it's like, uh, give me all your money. Can you can you use that in a sentence? I think I just did. <laughs> yeah, they, they should do a, a spelling bee where it's all you know, profanities. You know, cocksucker. What's the derivation of cocksucker? Um, <laughs> one who sucks cocks. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's an Anglo-Saxon word coming from the Anglo-Saxon yeah. kook. And sucker, you know. Yeah, can, can you can you use it in a sentence? Well, yeah, sure. Can you show me any diagrams? <laughs> <laughs> that God. would be so awesome if it just randomly in a spelling bee the word cocksucker came up. <laughs> <laughs> like, like somebody slips it into the host is just like, well, it's on my list. Okay, cocksucker. <laughs> Derivation. Derivation. <laughs> So, uh, okay, we're back to kick the bucket. And the images I'm getting are of like, you use a bucket when uh, you're milking a cow and the cow might kick the bucket, but that, why would that mean death? Kick the can is a popular children's game, but that has nothing to do with buckets. But kicking a bucket and death, I, I'm having difficulty making the connection as to where it would come from. So I'm going to have to defer to you and just throw my hands up uh, uh, like I just don't care. But I do care. And throw myself at the mercy yeah. of the court. I don't know where Kick yeah. the Bucket came from. All right. Well, uh, it, it reminds me of that Pocahontas story. You know, I'm reading this book about the true stories of life versus the myth. And the Pocahontas one is, is especially fascinating because she met John Smith, who was 29 at the time, when she was 12. It's a classic romance. And, and she certainly didn't, yeah, certainly didn't intervene on his uh, demise, however, or, or kept him from kicking the bucket. However, she did implore her father, who was the leader of the tribe there, to not attack the settlement, which was decimated through uh, the fact that they were there in the winter. Turns out to be a bad decision on his part because 30 years later, the settlers uh, had wiped out the entire people of the area called the Powhatan. Okay, so... I'm not clear on how this, what this expression has to do. Well, all those, all those people kicked the bucket since then. Yes, they are all dead, as are, as are all people who lived in that era. My point is, when we're doing these etymology things, what you often uncover is the, is the first explanation, which is just people often taking a stab at it, so to speak. Yeah, pure speculation. Right. And then you uncover it and you get to the one. And then, as you have said in one of our previous uh, outings, that you can never really be sure, but it's just the best guess consensus. It's kind of like when people say, uh, do we actually have a spleen? Well, you know, you can't really be sure. No, some things are unknowable. It's true. Yeah, there's uh, no way to know. <laughs> so anyway, so in this one is is particularly like that. The first one that everybody surmised was that uh, in order to kick the bucket was literally meant that you were standing on a bucket. Uh, looking to off yourself or or somebody hung somebody on a bucket, probably more likely. Yeah, I thought about that. What happens is there's when people have ropes in the home, they're six times more likely to use it standing on a bucket, killing themselves than they are to hang someone else. <laughs> I, I've heard that. Anyway, the point is... <laughs> 
Uh, that's not it. Although it's a kind of a nice one, right? You, you're, you're struggling and you kick over the bucket, right? Uh, I'm not sure if nice <laughs> is the term I would use, but it seems sort of logical as long as you don't actually think about it. Because for yeah. one thing, you wouldn't kick. How do you kick something that you're standing on? It's impossible. You would just step off of it. He stepped off the bucket. <laughs> Maybe that if that were the expression. <laughs> He's gone and stepped off the bucket, mate. Uh, well, you you wouldn't use the term nice, and that's okay. I, for example, wouldn't bring up certain spelling words on a podcast. But again, we're all different. So there was a disclaimer. They heard the disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sure did. The mist begins to clear. Now I'm reading from the uh, from the nomenclature on the site. When we know that in the 16th century, and for those who don't know, that's in the 1500s, uh-huh. uh, bucket had an additional meaning as words uh, uh, change their meanings, right, over time. And back then, uh, it meant a beam or a yoke used to hang or carry items. So you're, you're familiar when you used to plow the fields, sure. how you'd put that beam on you and, and plow the fields, you and the oxen. Well, I know that for many years, I would carry water on a beam that I laid across my shoulders with the two buckets hanging off of either side until my mm-hmm. wife, she pointed out that we have a sink with a faucet. And I was like, why didn't you tell me about this for Christ's sake? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Fun little practical joke she played on me. Yeah, I remember you doing that with the Russians. So then they made a wooden frame. This was in 1597, used by Shakespeare. It says, swifter than he that gibbets on the brewer's bucket. And the bucket in that term, 1597, meant the frame that they hung the cattle on, the sheep, the pig, the horse. The, well, I guess they did. They shot horses, didn't they? Uh, or the cow. And when they slaughtered it and draw the blade across its neck, uh, it was naturally that it would have a, a death spasm or struggle uh-huh. and hence kick the bucket. So the bucket in that case was the thing they were hanging off, off of? Yeah, it's a frame. There's a really wonderful picture if people want to get an upset <laughs> stomach. But essentially, it's just a frame. So they would tie the yoke or the, the, the beam to the, to the animal's uh, leg. And then they would use the ropes to hoist it up. And the thing that they hoisted on the frame was then called the bucket. Ah, okay. So they, the animal's upside down. Yes, or, yes. Or, uh, I see. that, And so they would be kicking at it. I Okay. What was this expression that Shakespeare used with the gibbet? What was it again? Uh, that your gibbets uh, have to be showing in order to get uh, preferential treatment and uh, <laughs> girls drink free. Show me, show me your gibbets. <laughs> hey, ladies, show me your gibbets. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is... So I actually... Uh, I was close, sort of, with talking about the cow and milking. It wasn't when you milk the cow, it's when you kill the cow, which makes more sense. But uh, that would have been a tough one to guess. Yeah, as in many of these things, there's always a cow involved somewhere. (laughs) That would have been funny if I had actually known where this came from, and I sort of pretended not to and just sort of pieced it together. Like, well, you know, it can't be a a typical bucket because that doesn't make sense. So maybe the term bucket has changed its meaning over time. And what is something you would kick that would be and just slowly piece it together when I actually knew the whole time. And you're like, what? (laughs) Maybe it's the name of of some sort of a a spar, a wooden spar that that you hung livestock from (laughs) and would have a death spasm as the blood was flowing out of them and they would kick it. Yes, that's what I'm going to say. That'd be amazing. That's how I, uh, when I play Scrabble with my cat, I do the same thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You hang the cat by a gibbet. You're like, no, you can't play cocksucker. You hang him up again. Um, (laughs) I do like the idea of you playing Scrabble with your cat and losing. And you're like, you know what they do to horses? (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, so that's interesting. I you know, kicked the bucket. And did you have by the farm? Do you know what by the farm is? I don't know that one. All right. Well, that was mine. We're going to get to the next one maybe later or maybe not, depending how much time you. Yeah, that's right. We could, we could go. We could, this could be an hour and a half episode. We get to one expression. All right. Well, let's move on to, to the first one that I have for you, sir, if that is your real name. Uh, but kick the bucket. It's a, it's a strong start. We, I, I like that your term you know, had very graphic uh, associations and mental images, but I also was graphic and explicit in another way well before you even got to it. So that's good. All right. So mine for you is put up your dukes. Put up your dukes. What does it mean? Where does it come from? Put up your dukes. All right. So if uh, somebody says put up your dukes to me, uh, the meaning to me is that I'm going to win that fight. Okay. Because anybody who is <laughs> who is saying something like that, I think I can kick their ass. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Any, anybody who says to me, sir, you have offended my honor, uh, I prepare for a round of fisticuffs. By then, I've already kicked them in the balls. Right. And, the know, person's probably got a powdered wig on and is wearing tights, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, well, that, that, it actually reminds me of, you watch enough Westerns, and you will at some point in time see a scene where a guy walks into the saloon, you know, with the swinging doors. And at some point in time, it says, I can lick any man in the house. And it just has such a different meaning today. Yeah, I can lick any man here. <laughs> That's one expression that has changed in its meaning over time. <laughs> I can lick any man. <laughs> it's, then it's dead quiet. And then there's like, and then they're like, uh-oh, the, the cocksucker's in town. Oh, the, okay. And now, see, now there, that's, you went too far. Okay, yeah. so put up your dukes. Yes, it means to propose to fight someone. But where does the expression come from is the question. Let me try to think about it for a moment, not that I care. But uh, I got nothing, man. <laughs> not that I care. The whole premise of the podcast, I really don't care. Okay, well, I will just tell you then, because this is a difficult one. This is a virtually impossible one to guess. And that's kind of the point, actually. So... This comes from what's known as Cockney rhyming slang. Are you familiar with Cockney rhyming slang? Oh, of course, Gavna. Yeah, exactly. So this is from the Cockney speakers in London, and it's a, a way of uh, using language and communicating in a way that only those who understand Cockney rhyming slang can understand each other, and those on the outside would be flummoxed as to what the hell they're talking about, even if they don't understand the actual words they're using. That's right. You've been a dock plucker for a long time now. <laughs> so the way cockney rhyming slang works is you take a common expression and then you use a word that rhymes with a word in that expression and then the rhyming word comes to be the new meaning and you don't use the original expression and i'll give you some examples later but for our purposes i will read you the explanation etymologists think this is probably how we got the word dukes used to refer to fists as in put up your dukes from cockney rhyming slang Fork was slang for hand or fist, and the phrase Dukes of York was created as rhyming slang for fork. So instead of telling someone to put up your forks, which also wouldn't make any sense, you might say, put up your Dukes of York. Eventually, this was shortened to put up your Dukes. And put up your Dukes is not the only Cockney rhyming slang expression that has entered the common vernacular. Another term probably from rhyming slang is 86, a term that can be used in a number of situations. A bar customer who's been 86 isn't being served any more alcohol. An order at a restaurant can be 86 if a customer changes his or her mind and decides to order something different instead. An item at a restaurant that the kitchen has run out of is also said to be 86. Whatever the situation, the probable origin of 86 is that it's rhyming slang for nicks. And then, and this is the one that's even more familiar, there's the somewhat rude sound that kids and others like to make with their tongue sticking out. You know, the one called a raspberry. 
Why is it called that? Well, raspberry in this case is short for raspberry tart. You can guess the rest. So whoever wrote this, this is from Merriam-Webster, I might add. They're a little more genteel than I am, obviously, from your cocksucker commentary earlier. But so instead of saying fart, you say raspberry tart, and then eventually you drop the tart part and you just say raspberry. So it has lost its association entirely. And another one that I know of, my uncle uses, is to say he's got to go home to the trouble and strife or just to the trouble. And strife rhymes with wife. And so you call it, you wind up referring to your wife as the, as trouble, uh, which <laughs> would seem like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's going to get you in trouble. And another is in England, if you go, you tell somebody you're going to have a butcher's, it means you're going to look around because butcher's is short for butcher's hook and have a, a, a butcher's a hook rhymes with look. So a butcher's hook is to have a look. So this is Cockney rhyming slang. If you are unfamiliar, I think it's interesting and fun and wacky, but utterly confusing to anybody else because why on earth? But it's, it's so funny because we all are familiar with the term raspberry and nobody ever wonders when you do that to a child's belly and make them squeal with laughter. Why do we call that a raspberry? And the, the reason is because it sounds like a fart. <laughs> so that is put up your dukes. And I don't know. What are your thoughts? I'm sorry. What does it rhyme with? <laughs> Put up your Dukes of York. Put up your Dukes of York. And York rhymes with fork. And fork was, uh, at the time that this became popularized, a synonym for hands or fists. So mm. you're saying, put up your forks. <laughs> it just That sounds silly, too. But, I mean, realistically, put up your Duke sounds ridiculous, too. One thing that really doing this podcast has underscored for me is how much of the language we use, it makes no sense and we just don't care. We just sure, put up your dukes. Yeah, you know, if everybody stopped what they were doing and looked at the derivation of every phrase, maybe we'd stop all the wars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'd be a lot less productive, but boy, would our podcast take off. <laughs> all right, well, uh, uh, this is forking crazy. By the way, when you say uh, uh, what I'm doing and do I don't care and all this, I do care because I have a lot huh. of money. I have a whole betting pool going on how many minutes it is or seconds into the podcast uh, before you say something that guarantees I can't send it to my eighth grade English teacher, Mrs. Carboni. Okay. <laughs> the idea that you are still in communication with your eighth grade English teacher is if people knew you. <laughs> it's so outlandish. That, that's the ridiculous part to me. <laughs> She, she still has got a picture of me on her desk and uh, we write letters back and forth. Oh, Mrs. <laughs> yeah, she pulls out the drawer of her desk and there's a picture of you. She kisses her hands and touches your face and then closes it again. And then she starts her day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I assume there, there is, a, there is, was slash was a real Mrs. Carboni. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She became a rock chucker later on. That's all I can tell you. All right, so we're done with uh, you. You have no thoughts on uh, Cockney rhyming slang or Duke of Duke. Uh, you know, I, Dukes, I, I, obviously, I think it takes a level of perspicacity reserved only for people who are willing to take Russian. All right, so here's okay. my next one. Uh, next one is okay. dead as a doornail. Dead as a doornail. Boy, you, uh, you're going thematic this week. Uh, <laughs> dead as a doornail. <laughs> Again, it means the same thing as kick the bucket. Well, I guess it's a little later. 
dead as a doornail just means dead. I've been trying to think of a, a new expression to replace sort of dead as a doornail that's a person's name. And for a while, I was going as dead as Nixon. Because uh, at the time, Nixon had died relatively recently, but it's impossible for any individual to represent death like this is a person who's dead because everybody who's dead is sort of that's universal. How about uh, Um, dead as a Hiroshima victim? Well, there you go. That's a little. That's pretty final. It's pretty final. Yeah, it's it's final, less amusing. It has to be somebody who is dead and you you don't really feel that bad about it. But Hiroshima victims yeah, kind of- We should probably feel not, a little bad about that, yeah. Yeah, but a little bit. So, but Nixon, not so much. John Candy? John Madden? No, John feel, Madden just John, passed. Oh, he and Betty White are making out up there. I bet. <laughs> well, John Madden's death is actually being overshadowed a little bit by Betty White. She always would hog the spotlight, let's face it. He was on 17 episodes of Golden Girls. You can hardly see him. <laughs> Well, you know, with the wig and makeup, you know, it was hard to tell it was him. <laughs> but it's it's true that for for six months, Rue McClanahan was in rehab and she was replaced by John Madden. And the makeup people were so good <laughs> that nobody had any idea. There's few people. There's few people in life. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch. And let's face it. Most of us live a good amount of our lives through the TV. Right. And in my experience, John Madden was one of those handful of people that I just sort of uniformly enjoyed watching or listening to. But he just uniformly brought a real, you know, presence to the to the to the broadcast and, and really made it a lot more enjoyable. I don't know if you ever watched a football game without the sound, but it's just a bunch of guys hitting each other. <laughs> yeah, John Madden, I think he rightfully was very entertaining and had a warmth about him and a love for the game, but also an inquisitiveness and a curiosity and a, a uh, and you know, when he was partnered with Pat Summerall, who was just straight as an arrow. And John Madden would go off on the tangents and talk about turducken and people loved it. He also was like human because he wouldn't fly. So he took buses everywhere and that made him like a real person. Yeah. So good job, John. I hope you're out there. I'd like to play one of your video games once I hear they're fun. (laughs) When they come on Roblox, I'll be the first in line. He must have made eight gazillion dollars out of that. (laughs) I mean, his name is synonymous with video game football well, you and... know it's, it's funny because he's not the only one that's had a career doing one thing and then just got into this licensing deal and end up making a, a boatload more money doing that than he did his main gig yeah tony hawk yeah tony hawk was one kanye who recently made more money on his sneakers kim kardashian made more money on her clothing line than giving um uh uh <laughs> Then on her sex tape, which was out, you know, that was her, her initial vocation. Dead as a doornail <laughs> is your thing. Dead as a doornail. All right. Dead as a doornail. So this is another one I'm sure I'm not going to be able to piece together because the explanation is not going to make sense to, to me. But okay. Dead as a doornail. So a doornail presumably is a nail that uh, you drive what's what's the shank what's the shank on a doornail (laughs) you know i'm so tired Um, of getting these shank questions from everybody (laughs) well since he came out of prison that's what people want to know about so usually when there are expressions that's you know busy as a bee or uh, quiet as a mouse you, you generally have some idea what the other thing is but a doornail i'm guessing it comes from some expression where it's a different language or something and doornail just sounds like that word and so that's why we say doornail that's my guess right right so now i want to apologize to the listener because the bandit of this is the expectation is is going to be kind of funny sometimes and when when malcolm said you know put up your dukes the fact is the holidays has left me just spent 
You know, I got like six people presents or something and it's just exhausting. But generally the way it works is he said, put it reduced. I'm either going to try to give it a good guess or, or think of something funny. So I'm going to just go back and say what I should have said, which is Duke is a, a really crude uh, thing about when people are pooping, you know, that they, they call it dookie. And so you put that mm -hmm. up and no one wants to fight you. They know you're serious. They know you're serious uh. if you have two hands of Duke. Well, it could be like, it, no, it's a reference to monkeys. You know, when monkeys <laughs> fling their poo, it means they're ready to fight. So put up your dookies. I would, I would yeah. posit that you're not just ready to fight. You're actually fighting when you're throwing your, your defecation <laughs> material around. Well, but, but you, monkey culture is much more subtle than you, you would believe and understand. <laughs> yeah. I remember I got a telegram from a monkey once saying, would you like to play Scrabble later? And I was like, oh, I can see it's game on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's... <laughs> <laughs> a monkey takes off its glove and, and slaps yeah, yeah, your across yeah, the face yeah, with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if I'm, uh, a monkey, all right, so oh, I'm I, sorry. Is that am I supposed to come up with something funny about dead as a doornail? Listen, is that what you're you, saying? You work hard. You have three kids. I, I, like, I like how you you're like it's, the, the holidays have exhausted me. So just even getting up to do this podcast, you know, we promise to the listener that it, we may not deliver a good podcast, but we will come up with excuses as to why we didn't. And that that is our guarantee to you. I love the uh, the guy that starts a speech. He's like, listen, I may not be brave. I, know I may not be able to get through a sentence without taking a drink. I may not be. All right. So here's the thing. Uh, when it's a doornail, and this, you made a good point, which is there's some of these expressions that you know, sort of, you know, he's six feet under. He's pushing up daisies. They're self-explanatory, but then there's some that have these extra things. So we kick the bucket. And then dead as a doornail is a, another one. It's been in use since the late 1300. In those days, as you know, iron nails were hand forged. Screws had not yet been invented. So you couldn't say, uh, screw you, uh, up until <laughs> a couple hundred years later. You had to say, nail you, and it just wasn't the same. <laughs> Plus, you had to hand make the nail first. It was exhausting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, uh, so... Uh, doors got a lot of use and needed to be designed to be built and sturdy, and they were often put together with nails, a doornail. And then the doornail had a big head on it, and they would hammer it in, and then in order so that it wouldn't go through the wood or break off, they would bend the surface, the top of the nail, into the wood, and then that would become unusable for any other purpose. Once it was bent like that and it was wedged into the wood, it would be like an L-shape. And you really couldn't use it again. However, it would very much keep the door intact. So that that nail was then dead. And you were then oh. now dead as a doornail, which is why in the 1300s, they buried people in L-shaped coffins, much shorter. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> they buried people in L-shaped coffins or S-shaped coffins, you know, like <laughs> for some with scoliosis. A W-shaped coffin, all sorts of shaped coffin. You order whatever coffin shape you want. Your coffin, your way. Whatever letter, even Cyrillic alphabet. <laughs> this N is backwards. So uh, that, well, that makes sense. Dead as a doornail. Although this seemed like it would apply to all nails. Like when you're nailing it into a piece of wood, you don't want it to come out the other side and you have a pointy nail end sticking out. So you would only want to nail it in as far as it needed to be nailed in. And then you would hammer it down to, into the L shape where it would be dead. Like all nails would be dead this way that are used for a variety of purposes. I have done this myself. I mean, I'm sure there are many of us who are not professional carpenters who have hammered in nails and be like, oh, this nail is too long for what I'm using it for. <laughs> Better kill it. So dead as a doornail, that does make sense. And it, what's amazing 
is that you have to figure at some point in time, relatively soon after the 13th century, they figured out to make nails in a variety of sizes. Why they are referred to by pennies, I don't know. That's another thing we could look up. But uh, And you would use the nail that is the proper size for the door instead of having to hammer it down, rendering it unusable if you were to take the door off and want to use it again. But the expression survives for 800 years. We're still saying dead as a doornail. And nobody, again, has any idea why, except for you and somebody who wrote it on the internet that you took it from. Yeah, this is this is always what fascinates me. I don't know about other people, uh, but I'm just fascinated by this internet thing. <laughs> yeah, you ever watch those old videos from the mid 90s? They'll show these old computers, you know, with the blinking green cursor. And to access your electronic mail, or as some call it, email, <laughs> open this folder, you, know, you would join a list, sir. <laughs> and people can you know, talk about all sorts of topics they're interested in, yeah. playing Scrabble with their cat, you know, rockets, etc. But then there also are the articles that you read where like, mm, this internet, it's a fad, it's a passing fad. And like, unless you have a real vested interest in discouraging some sort of activity, don't ever write a story or a blog post or anything about how something is a fad and it's not going to last because either it will be a fad and will go away and everybody will forget about it and who cares, or you'll be dead wrong. I mean, they're still trotting out that all oh, the telephone, why would anybody need a telephone when you can just walk to your neighbor's house and talk to them yourself? So uh, I would discourage people from talking about things being fads, especially the internet. The internet, I think is here and it's much like rock and roll is here to stay. Yeah. Anyway, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. You got to have hobbies. So, all right. So that's dead as a doornail. I'm, I'm hoping that you have three death related ones for us. I don't know. What, what, how are we on our time? What's our time? How are we on time? I have no <laughs> idea what time we started. <laughs> I love the fact that uh, this is something that we're going to just edit later and down and that uh, nobody knows us. It takes us a week and a half to do this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And that's how long the Zoom call is, a whole week and a half. Yeah. How many hours are in a day? So, uh, 24. So seven times 140, uh, 168 hours. That's how long it goes into every one of these podcasts. No. And we're like, um, I'm trying to remember what the situation was, but where people would be talking on the phone, but if they're worried about getting a connection back, and so they just leave the phone connected and go to bed and then pick it up in the morning and keep talking. <laughs> yeah. Like people used to do that. That's what we do. We just leave the Zoom. The Zoom meeting has been going on for six years now. <laughs> but to get back to the internet, I Googled while we were talking, how many people eat grass in Iceland, right? Or whatever. But, uh -huh. the, but the fact is what amazes me is not that the information is available. It's that somebody took the time to put it there, right? These are like the people who make up jokes. I love the people who make up jokes. I've never met them. I mean, my, my, yeah. my daughters have each made up a joke when they were little. And I think you and I joke a lot, but actually making up a joke is a whole other Writing thing. a joke, yeah, with a setup and you know, a yeah. priest, a minister, a rabbi walk into a bar, sort of like a right, joke. Right, right, right. So I'm just very grateful for whoever's writing the internet. Thank you. Well, how, I mean, that's Wikipedia. Don't you ever see a Wikipedia site? And you're like, who is keeping an updated uh, you know, Wikipedia page about Route 232 in Cedar Rapids, Iowa? And somebody had to take the time to write that and is monitoring it, making sure it's all staying correct. Or some obscure figure, Pope Leo III's nephew. It's remarkable, but thank God for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm with it. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. I have another expression. This one, you know, I like to have at least one that's possible you might be able to guess. So this one, you may know. I don't know. But well, I want to know if you know what it means first, of course, and then you can speculate as to its derivation. And the expression is fly off the handle. Fly off the handle. What does it mean? Where does it come from? I asked you, Kurt Wolverham. Well, I know this one, so it's kind of not fair, but I'll go ahead and tell you. This was done in the, in the middle century in Europe when witches were rampant. 
and uh, <laughs> they were rampant. And uh, what would happen is a guy would be married to a witch, unbeknownst to himself. And they uh-huh. they had a show about uh-huh. that in the 60s. And then uh, he'd get her upset and she'd go off in a huff because she didn't want to turn him into a frog or whatever it was frowned upon and whatnot. Mm. And she'd end up at the stake and stuff. So she'd go out flying. And a lot of times she'd be so mad she was just shaking on that broom. She would fall off and she'd hit a villager, a surf. Mm. And uh, he'd say, oh, boy, I guess Ulrich there got uh, Guinevere uh, mad because she's gone and flew off the handle, he'd say. Right, right. Yeah, that's it. That's correct. Although I didn't actually listen to most of your explanation because I was imagining an episode of Bewitched where all the neighbors discover that she's a witch and they try to burn her at the stake. <laughs> yeah, they're the Kravitzes. The Kravitzes, Lenny, <laughs> Lenny, let's get the firewood. Larry Tate, he sent, you know, he come up with a whole ad campaign about how they need to burn Samantha at the stake. Well, what's, what was so wonderful about that show is it's the perfect, you get three wishes, can you wish for a thousand, right? You always have to put right. that codicil because people are tricky. And if anybody ever found out she was a witch or whatever, all she had to do is go dinkle, dinkle, dink. And that was <laughs> it. They didn't remember shit. They didn't remember anything. It's like, I mean, God, who, do, who wouldn't want that power? And then while we're on the subject is, I dream of genie. Talk about a lie. I mean, come on now. <laughs> Are you saying there there was there were things going on behind the scenes in I Dream of Genie that we didn't I'm see? I'm saying if things weren't going on behind the scenes, something is horribly wrong with all American males, especially if you're a military guy. <laughs> Wait, why did you dream of Genie? Because your dreams about Genie are very different from my dreams about Genie. I have actual dreams about Genie. And, uh... <laughs> okay, okay. Moving on. <laughs> I didn't bring it up. You did. Oh my yeah, but God. That, it, it is interesting that all these shows, whether it's the Munsters or the Adams Family or Bewitched or I Dream of Genie, it's just like we're going to inject this thing into standard suburban American life, white American life. And the whole premise of the show is about keeping things as normal as possible, even though there is this crazy fucking thing in the middle of it that does not make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to add this element that completely screws everything up and and violates all the laws of everything. But we're going to try to keep living like it's leave it to beaver. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But the thing is, is all of these issues, when you go back and look at them, censorship has always been a thing in the United States. And we don't seem to have it much now based on my latest uh, 12 searches. But my point is that you watch the earlier black and white uh, bewitched episodes. It was pretty risque. It really was. They did a little bit of a single entendres going on. <laughs> a lot of cocksucker content. Okay, so Fly Off the Handle was not 100% right about the witches. It's close. It's very close. Yeah, yeah. In the, the sense that the, the expression does come from the past. So you got that right. But not Europe. Actually, it's from the United States. And you know what it means, obviously, to lose one's temper and get angry for seemingly for no reason. And I'm taking this from www.theidioms.com. Does not usually refer to situations that would warrant an emotional response. So it's usually when someone is irrationally angry. The phrase was originated in America, and it alludes to a loose axe head that flies off off from its handle swiftly while hitting on the wood. One other theory suggests that the phrase fly off the handle is thought to originate from examples of animals, usually bulls, that would startle so much as to bolt away at random. This was thought to happen most often when the animals were being herded on their way to slaughter. Boy, I had no idea that was another theme. But I think the general consensus is it's about an axe head that as you're swinging, before it makes it to the wood, it goes woo and takes off, which is a good reason why you should never stand 
directly in front of somebody who is chopping wood. Because if the axe head flies off of the handle, as it were, it could fly into your head and really do some serious damage. So that's where fly off the handle comes from. And it makes sense. Unlike your dead as a doornail and kick the bucket and these things from the 13th century and all this nonsense, fly off the handle. It makes sense. And you can visualize it. And so I'm disappointed in you for not guessing it. There, I said it. Well, it reminds me of a thing my uncle used to say, and he, he said, whatever you do, just try to finish what you start. And it made a lot of sense to me because he was a block tucker at the, at the docks uh-huh. there. Now, what was your old eighth grade teacher's job? What did she do after she quit the teaching? <laughs> Mrs. Carboni. Rock tumbler or something? She was a rock chucker. Did she work with your uncle? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I, I don't think they would have gotten along too well. I, I heard that she did work down on the docks, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that she did. She did. She would chuck some rocks down there. People would come by and say, how many rocks could she chuck if she could chuck rocks? And it was quite a few, turns out. Jeez, I just realized that rock chucker rhymes with, uh, that's what I, I had no idea that's what you were talking about. She, you know what? She would even chuck uh, two or three rocks at the same time, if you can believe that. <laughs> oh, wow. She could have been a film star. I just got it. I yeah, just yeah, got I the noticed joke. That. I'm sorry. I, noticed I, I apologize. That. I like the fact that our listener got it before you. It was like, come on, man. What are you thinking? You just... Oh, no, no. I'm going to edit that out, of course. Don't be... I'm, I'm responsible for editing. If something happens that makes me seem stupid, oh, that's out. Uh, sure. As a matter of fact, but I will edit in stuff to make you seem stupid. See, that's the power. That explains the last podcast. I had like four minutes of me going, oh, uh, uh. All right. So uh, <clears throat> here are some alternate expressions for dying that I came upon on the, uh, on the internet or the interweb, as you like to say. And uh, uh. Uh, while I was... I'm just going to edit that out. I don't care. I'm just going to edit it out there. I know you're very sensitive. So, okay. So uh, the- You're very the, wise. You're very wise. Uh, some of these, the first ones are religious ones, old fashioned and quaint euphemisms. A lot of them are religion, but uh, I have a couple of these. One is a race well run, uh, asleep mm. in the arms of Jesus, which seems, you know, like after one or two, that can becomes quite a burden for Jesus, quite frankly. He's holding sure. like the whole boat of, you know, the, the you know, whatever it was, the Mary Dory. In animated, <laughs> in animated, you know, in animated. Okay. Uh, sure. This was a short and sweet to the point, lifeless. <laughs> now I like mm, to think about yeah. all these of being like people. What happened to Malcolm? Well, he's lifeless, right? <laughs> just... Yeah, I know. But what happened to him? We always knew that about him. He's, he's very uninteresting. Yeah. But <laughs> here's another one that's from there. It says mortified. He's mortified. Really? Well, that's literally uh, yeah. true. And then yeah. this is the one I like to use. Uh, he's resigned his soul to God. I just like the idea of that just writing the letter. Dear God, I have decided after careful review, I can no longer do time here on planet Earth. This is another one. He took a harp. Whatever happened, Malcolm? Oh, he took a harp. It's like taking a knee. That one that he took a knee for the last knee yeah. for God. Uh, the one you said he, he resigned to, what is it? Resigned what? He resigned his soul to God. Resigned his soul to God. That reminds me because the Christmas season has just passed. And one of the holiday songs, which I can't think of which one it is now, it says, God and sinners reconciled. Yeah, you know yeah, that yeah. Line? Oh, come all ye faithful. And I love that line because I have this image of God and, you know, a guy who's a sinner, like looking at each other, sort of arms crossed and glaring. And then a smile comes on God's face, like, get over here, you, come on. <laughs> and they hug yeah. it out. Because before the holiday season, God and sinners, they were just like eyeing each other where, yeah, like, yeah. Mm, I don't know about yeah. you. But then Christmas comes and God is like, oh, I can't stay mad at you. Yeah, yeah that's, that's nice. <laughs> I like the idea that, that God needs to be reconciled. God comes, hey, listen, I'm sorry about that whole, uh, you know, that, <laughs> yeah, uh, that right. whole sugar pops thing. I know it's bad for your teeth. I apologize. 
Oh uh, yeah, that that flood that I sent that killed everybody. <laughs> oh yeah, you still want to bring that up? Come on, man. Years ago, years ago. Well, the other one, the other one, it's also about the baby Jesus. Oh, wait, I guess the way in a manger that describes him as tender and mild, and, and like it sounds like the the Christmas turkey, you know. Mm. <laughs> this this baby Jesus is tender and mild. What is your secret, Judith? <laughs> Well, now, now you've just got me saying at your at your funeral uh, when I can say I have to which one I would pick. Well, now that Malcolm has taken a harp, we all know he went rejoicing out of this world. That's the the other one I liked, singing along. Woo! Yeah, it seems like these are they're yeah. like value jokes. The resigning one uh, gives you a lot more agency than most people probably had in their yeah. own death. But yeah, I like the idea at my funeral. You're like Malcolm has died, or as I prefer to call it, is lifeless. <laughs> So, Inanimated. So, so, so here's here are some of the uh, newer ones that are there that I thought were, were good. Become a root inspector. He became a root inspector. That is, <laughs> well, that's kind of clever. Whatever happened like to Malcolm? Oh, he's become a root inspector. And then later, I like this idea. They go home. <laughs> they're driving home from the reunion. They're like, you know, Malcolm died. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Kurt told me that he had become a root inspector. <laughs> in the driving his past exit 27 she's like oh i get it see you know what i mean oh yeah that's funny kurt's funny well for years he'd been telling me he was a rock chucker already so i figured it just was something similar yeah. uh he's become living challenged he began to dissolve <laughs> yeah okay that, nobody says that nobody's All ever right. said that became living challenged How about seriously this, this these are now they're All making right. he them bought up. a pine condo <laughs> these are just made yeah. up like you know there are a lot of expressions that are about prison you know, that like uh, refer to it as uh, living in the stone bungalow and stuff like that. But these are not euphemisms that anybody uses, whereas you might legitimately say that somebody bought the farm or that they kicked the bucket. It's indelicate. Generally, those aren't going to be people you know really well. Honey, I got something to tell you. Your mother has, has kicked the bucket. <laughs> she's, she's bought the farm. What? She's not more upset about the death in the way that you've told her, you know? Yeah. Honey, what do you mean, Dad? I mean, she's dead as a doornail, honey. <laughs> yeah i don't know how to put this it's terrible news your your mother has kicked the bucket <laughs> the doctor comes out how did the surgery go doctor well i'm sorry to say she bought the farm <laughs> she, she, you're uh yeah, yeah we, we did everything we could for her but she uh she she's dead as yeah. a doornail <laughs> yeah you can you can kind of know how close you are to the person to how you say it if you're really close you come out and you just i don't know how to tell you this right you know you don't say anything you know in those yeah. in the movie shows yeah. they always just look at each other and then you know right no it's you look at each other and the one person it looks earnestly and inquisitively like oh what what and the other person just shakes their head it's just all you do is shake the head and that's it yeah and then i love it and they burst into tears and then i go no no i'm shaking my head because he's still alive damn it they love that <laughs> no i didn't i never liked him <laughs> all right so I'll, I'll i'll finish these off and let's get to yours he's gone into the fertilizer business <laughs> yeah okay yeah <laughs> That's pretty good. What these remind me of, I, my grandfather used to, whenever it, anybody died and he was asked how they uh -huh. died, he would say one of two things. He would say either his heart stopped yeah. beating <laughs> or shortness of breath. That was what I like, shortness yeah. of breath. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So the last one I have is he's shuffled off this mortal coil. Well, that's Shakespeare. Okay, so shuffle. The, so, okay, okay, so. But we know what yeah, it means. All right, all right, all right, all right. Don't yell at me. <laughs> well, I'm yelling at you. So wow. shuffled off this mortal coil. It means you the same me thing. Of my uncle Bill, you know, who my uncle Bill was, he was a, uh, he was a clock <laughs> trucker. 
<laughs> he he used to take trucks across the country. He's such a clock trucker. <laughs> okay, so shuffle off this mortal coil. It means, just as all your others today, I don't know what you have on your mind today, but it means to, to die, obviously. And this is Shakespearean, I believe. But what is a mortal coil is the question. And that is represents life, clearly. Because, and you're shuffling it off because there's a lot of shuffling. <laughs> it's not like cards, like shuffling cards. It's more like shuffling along, but you've shuffled it off. You've removed from your person the mortal coil, and the mortal coil is life. So what is a mortal coil, though? Well, mortal just means capable of dying, and coil is... Uh, what is coil? Coil is... Uh, okay, shuffle off this mortal coil. It, more, the mortal coil was a dance, and it was the last dance at every performance would be the, the mortal coil. And when you shuffled off doing the mortal coil, you left the stage, you shuffled off this mortal coil, and the, that represented the end of the show, and hence death. There you go. In a Shakespearean performance, the mortal coil, it was like the Macarena of its day. It was such a showstopper, that was the end of the show. Uh, literally, because the mortal coil was such a great dance and everybody looked forward to it. They're like, you think that's the end of the show? And they're like, no, they haven't shuffled off the mortal coil yet. So the performers would all shuffle off. They'd all get back on stage, do their bows, and then shuffle off doing the mortal coil and hence the expression. Makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, it <laughs> turns out what it really was is back in the day, uh, they had back in the th that time was uh, it was a type of slinky, uh, you know, the slinky mm. the toy. And because it was made with crude materials, it was sharp and people who played with it would often die. It's actually much like the modern slinky, which you got to play with for about 20 minutes and then it got tangled and it was dead. <laughs> that, was the, that was the mortal coil was the slinky because you couldn't use it. It would interlock with itself somehow. And then it's like, oh, I, this, this toy is now useless. Yeah, yeah. Those slinky people were pretty smart. That built-in obsolescence right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so here is the, um, the, the quote. To sleep per chance to dream, I, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil. And uh, this one, just much like the other one of Kick the Bucket, the initial one, which was fairly clever, was someone saying, well, a rope, when you are hung, is often coiled. And so when you shuffle off this uh -huh. mortal coil. However, the accurate description is that the word coil uh, was used in uh, Shakespeare's time and before, uh, used to be spelled C-O-Y-L-E, Coil, like uh, Jimmy Doyle, who still owes me money for that Pats game. It meant tumult, confusion, and fuss. Tumult and confusion. Oh. So shuffling off this mortal coil meant getting away from all this confusion and fuss and turmoil, essentially. The trouble, trouble and strife. That in Cockney rhyming yes. slang means what? Yes, indeed. And that's how it's done there. Yeah, that's it. So in my previous one about dead as a doornail, I suggest that doornail was just a different word from a different language or something that sounded sort of like doornail and we used it and there's no way of making the connection. It's actually true of this one that the word coil has a completely different meaning today than it did then. And there's no way anybody would know that reasonably. So it would have been impossible to guess. So I absolve myself of not getting this one right. Although I do like the idea of coming up with a dance called the mortal coil and it being sort of a shuffle. I know that you are absolved of all these things because people don't know this. You don't like to toot your own horn. But um, I remember when Leonard Nimoy was near the end and he was shivering a lot and having the chills and you were a good friend of his and you came by. And uh, sure, very close. Uh, he, towards the end, were, was taken to wearing the ears all the time. And he only wanted to be known as mm -hmm. uh, Spock. 
and you would make him soup yeah. and clear broth and stuff like that. And uh, I remember after he passed, everybody talked about how you were such a good Spock tucker. There you go. I, I was waiting. <laughs> yeah, we got to get there. I'm not sure what the soup. I would make sure you, he was, you would you you tuck him in. You tuck him in and give him some soup, yeah. some, some clear right. broth there. <laughs> Here you go, Leonard. I mean Spock. <laughs> <laughs> Spock Tucker. <laughs> yes, yes. And I remember you you were uh, once a well-known dock fucker, right? You were a dock fucker? You would, you would go to docks oh and you God, would... Dude. What is wrong with you? For those of you who want to call in and complain, his uh, email is uh, Malcolm at Amtrak.com. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, which Shakespearean play was that, by the way? <laughs> was, uh, to sleep, perchance to dream. Listen, I'm I'm too busy tucking in my smock at the moment. I there's the rub. That's the expression. I that's the part of it I like. There's the rub. It's in Hamlet. Okay, not surprising. Uh, that would have been my guess, but I didn't <clears> want to. But I'll say that I did. I'll just I, I'm guessing that's from Hamlet. I'm going to put that back in. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, the genius yeah. of editing. <laughs> so uh, so where did hoist on your own batard come? Well, I've got that right here. As a matter of fact, I know. That. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's the rub. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a dollar, literally, if you do that next time. Uh, you know. <laughs> Can you imagine that <laughs> saying that in in the heat of passion? <laughs> I, there's the rub. That's good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're used to like, oh, yeah, that's right right there. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And you, you work in an eye. There's the rub. <laughs> oh, she went Shakespearean on me. All right. Well, that's that's good stuff. I enjoyed that. That was wonderful. Thank you very much. And no better way to launch the new year. We're recording this on the, the second day of 2022, regardless of when you're listening to it or when we publish it. Who knows when that's going to be? But uh, th uh, to start off the new year, I appreciate that you brought a, th a th you went thematic and also a really upbeat theme that could you know really launch the new year in a positive direction for all of our listeners. So, so thank you for that. And for me personally, because now I'm going to be thinking about death all day. And that's great. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about phrases I can use to kill the mood during the act. <laughs> <laughs> There's the rub. <laughs> uh, yeah. The L-shaped nail also has you like, oh, you're dead as a doornail. <laughs> He was as dead as a doornail, <laughs> you know, because they're because they're L shaped. <laughs> what is it? What was the uh, the one about roots? That that was good. He's a, he's become a root inspector <laughs> because you know what? That's the thing in Australia or maybe New Zealand, but but uh, root means sex. You want a root because you, know, you remember we live with those Australian guys and they would get drunk and be like, oh, I want a root, I want a root, I'll go find a root. Mm. So that could be something completely different. Being a root inspector down under, so to speak, ironically, <laughs> would be something completely different. All right. Well, this has been a barn burner. Just another. Wow. 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 And I am still very excited about my third one, which we didn't get to. So maybe I'll open with that next time because they're so good. So we'll have plenty more next time. But unless you have anything to add, I think we can let people go. Like I said before, I'm just uh, tucking in my sock. <laughs> 
Yes, I hear it. Sock Tucker. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Words Between Friends podcast. If you found this show tolerable, you're practically guaranteed to be able to sit through the other podcast Kurt and I do, Quality Control Purposes, available wherever you enjoy podcasts uh, and other content. But even though this episode has come to an end, I will leave you with our solemn pledge that the next time we promise to do better. Hey, thanks for listening. But before you go, if you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. Or if you didn't enjoy it, well, give us five stars and a glowing review anyway. Why should you be the only one who suffers? And also be sure to check out the other podcasts Kurt and I do, Quality Control Purposes, where we critique professional advice columnists' responses to letter writers, and the Not For Nothing podcast, which is less structured, more contentious, and often quickly devolves into bickering over long-held grievances between the two hosts.